0: On today's episode, I spoke with Yog Ganesh about product-led content and content engines for startups. If you don't know Yog, he's the founder of SaaS Sprints, which helps companies with unique points of view scale their content marketing. He's also a TEDx speaker and author and a member of the Forbes Council. So let's dive right into the episode. Let's start on the content engine side of things, but, but taking even a step further, going higher level, if you wouldn't mind just kind of talking through where you stand in content marketing in terms of the overall view or the current state of content marketing in 2023? What are you seeing right now?
1: Yeah, so right now we are in a very interesting phase as uh, pretty much AI is getting involved in content creation a lot uh, with the advent of ChatGPT, Bard, and uh, you know, several tools that are available today. One of the first things that I like to do is, uh, you know, I say that yes, we have to embrace uh, AI, But at the same time, you know, uh, don't look at AI for your point of view. If uh, the point of view that you bring to the table is dependent on uh, sources from outside, then probably, uh, you know, you don't have a content strategy. So that's where I typically come from. You can use things to scale. You can get some inputs or some creative insights here and there. Possibly the way I would look at it is, uh, you know, if you can combine a couple of ideas in creative ways, maybe that's where AI can help. Apart from that, what I'm seeing today is uh, more and more people are beginning to think that, hey, let's uh, sell this idea of a quarter inch hole instead of the drilling machine. But I would say it depends from situation to situation. There's no one size fits all. For example, when a company knows that, hey, I would achieve a 25% lift in revenue and I've identified these set of tools, then your job is to show how you are different from somebody else and how you go about solving that problem rather than selling the idea of that, hey, I'll give you a 20% lift.
0: I know that that's kind of a filter that you you won't work with people that don't have uh, a POV. When you look at that, you've given some qualifications of what that might be, how you might come to that conclusion, but do you have examples of companies that you feel have great POVs out there?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll give you one example. I love this company called Avoma, which is a conversation intelligence uh, platform. So if you look at it, uh, you know, um, I... Probably I have worked with uh, Avoma somewhere in 2021, the last two, three years. And uh, here's the difference that I've noticed. And the reason why I first noticed that company is that if you look at that particular market, Gong is the hegemon there. You know, Uh, they are right there in the market. They uh, initially started talking about conversation intelligence. Then they started talking about revenue intelligence. But then it also sparred a set of companies that were beginning to come with similar products. And, uh, Pretty much everybody were playing the same game, same story, same things as Gong did. But they were trying to come across as a little bit cheaper. It was more like, you know, 80% of what Gong offers at 20% of the price. But one thing is, Ahuma went the other way. They said that, hey, you know what, while they're what you're doing is great, the way we look at it is every meeting has a life cycle, set sort of things that you do before the meeting, during the meeting and after the meeting. So they started combining these different set of tools together and saying that it's instead of using five different apps, it's about this collaboration, this experience that you need to have throughout the lifecycle without dropping the ball. So that, I I felt like, okay, this is one company that is probably telling a different story compared to the choruses of the world or the clarities of the world. And that caught me an eye. Similarly, when you look at um, other industries, you know, or, or other domains, like say email software. You look at what Lavender is doing right now, fantastic storytelling. You look at Hrefs. you know, a uh, lot of people know how to use the product even before signing up for the product. So that is storytelling, that is standing out. And those guys came long after simrush have been the established kings of that spectrum.
0: It's, it's an interesting point about storytelling because I think that people that want to do content always kind of feel like they still have to do it under the lens of SEO meaning that you let the keywords dictate, but then the volume dictate what you write, not necessarily the story that you want to write. How do you think about that balance between getting the most out of it metrics-wise, but also getting the most out of it just in terms of telling your story?
1: Maybe I'll uh, give you a live example of how to combine these two. Um, so it so happened that I was once listening to uh, you know a sales call where the AE was explaining the product uh, and uh, the the person on the other side, the prospect asked a question as to, hey, you know what? I see something called filler words on uh, your product. I know it it tells me the number of filler words that I'm using, but uh, does that actually have an impact on whether I'll close the deal or not? Um, and I was like, wow, that's a fantastic question. You know, I should have had answer for that on the website, maybe through a blog, through a landing page or whatever. But um, how do we go about it? And then when we when I went back and analyzed a few calls, we had a million of them. And uh, we got three key factors there. One information was that just because you use filler words, you're not going to lose a deal. But um, number two was that um, if you're using about 70% filler words for every 100 words you speak, then what's going to happen is uh, you're going to come across as unprepared or you're going to come across as a bit nervous and all of that. The third thing is if you are 100% flawless, it comes across as way too rehearsed, a little bit too plastic and not real. So when we had these three insights, I was like, this is a fantastic story that we need to tell the world. And then what I looked at is, how can I match this up to SEO, you know? Um, I went to HRFs, I saw, I did a quick search, and I saw that the keyword filler words had about 6,000 searches a month. Now, come up with a topic and bind these two ideas, you know, a unique part of the, a unique story that you want to see. At the same time, you know, you don't want your efforts to go waste. While you will distribute, you will repurpose and all of that, You still also want a long-term organic effect on the content. So combine these two and see where you come from and uh, where you arrive. And over a period of time, again, uh, content is never 100% complete. Every now and then, you're also going to come back to it and keep optimizing it for better performance. But I would say always start with a key uh, takeaway for that. It's because, you know, sometimes I've I've went ahead and asked people. uh, You look at certain blogs, you see, you know, commonly it's like... uh, There are a set of share buttons, uh, social media share buttons. And I was like, when was the last time I felt that I go and I read this content and feel, oh, this is a SaaS blog that I would love to share with uh, my audience on LinkedIn or Facebook. Almost never happens. So it's like, we cannot take this idea on face value. We need to understand who our audience is, how they behave and how we behave and try to come up with an experience based on that. So while SEO is important, it's important to be unique enough so that people respect. Otherwise. You will always be in the top five searches, but it'll be regurgitated content.
0: It's, it's particularly interesting what you're saying now in the age of AI, because I think SEO and content are both in a moment of potentially shifting. It's an inflection point. What are your thoughts right now on how people should or shouldn't use AI? I think you touched on this a tiny bit at the very beginning, but with SEO, do you have opinions on what's going to change or in, in content in general?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. With with AI, one thing that's definitely already happening is that, uh, you know, instead of probably previously people were creating about four to eight blogs a month, depending on the team size, and now it's become 25, right? Suddenly people have this tool of uh, being able to create more and more, and it's like at a click of a button. Um, and uh, the difference, however, is that as you create more and more fully automated content, it's also going to be a lot of invisible content out there. Because what people think is, again, I'm not against AI, I would love to use it, but the way to use it is where the difference is, you know. You cannot go and give just one prompt on ChatGPT or any tool that you're using and expect it to spit out a fantastic blog that sounds exactly like you. It's about using those 15 or 20 different prompts based on your outline, you know. You would rather, it's better you go and write this outline and structure based on your point of view. Maybe it's it's almost like your TOC, you know, you have these uh, 15 topics that you want to touch within that, including the subtopics, and then expand certain points. So maybe I would even say that, uh, you know, use AI to combine ideas. So you have a point of view, like, just like the example that I said, you know, I have these three points that I've discovered, then I have this um, uh, keyword that I want to cover, and I want to combine these two and see what ideas. Or say you have a point of view and you already have a headline in your mind, just throw it out and see that what are the different ways it can be told. And maybe the 20 options that you get there, none of it is going to be useful uh, or usable directly, but there are going to be combinations that you can look at and feel that, hey, if I can combine these aspects. So the idea is it can make you productive. It probably what you took about two days to do. Now probably you can do it in half a day. That's fantastic. But that's about it, right? So you have to be very smart about it. If everybody's going to sound the same, then uh, you know uh, the person with the highest brand is going to win. So brand is an entirely different topic, but looking at it from a content perspective, if you don't bring anything unique to the table,
0: then you you have a lost case. Totally. And you keep bringing up the, the POV side of things. When when startups approach you and say, I want to build a content engine, We we want to build something with content marketing that can just build on top of itself um, besides the the unique point of view what are the other characteristics that you look like where you can identify oh yes um, they're gonna be they're gonna do really well with content marketing
1: yeah so one of the things that I fundamentally look at is uh, do they have absolute clarity on whom they are selling to uh, and um, what are the core differentiations um, in their product so uh, first things first when I spend about, uh, half an hour with them, where I ask them to give me a demo of their product or um, take through how they speak about it and all of that. So one thing is I keenly look for a couple of things. One, I look at are they talking about um, how did how they do certain things better? If that's the case, I try to stop them. I said, yes, everybody says they are better. Show me how you're different. You know that's number one. Number two is I would once they have this clarity on whom they are selling to. The second point is to have a key understanding on um, which is the highest pain that they want to tackle first. Now, if you have a relatively broader product that solves problems across the organization, again, it becomes uh, more and more important for you to prioritize which to tackle first. To give you an example, it's more like, um, say, um, you go to a restaurant or maybe you you go to the website of a company like KFC. What you would first see is that they will not give you a menu card. They'll probably uh, give you like, hey, try our chicken nuggets and tell me what you feel. right? So it's about identifying that door opener and then talking towards that because that's the biggest pain. So if that clarity is there, fantastic. If not, you know, we sit down together and try to identify what is that and establish that. Then step two from my side would be uh, to come up with, you know, two or three key content pillars. Um, if you have to become an authority on a particular domain, you have to start owning that, set of topics. So um, around 2011, it was, you know, anything related to inbound, you always found HubSpot, right? So anything related to uh, revenue intelligence in the recent times, you always find Gong. So anything related to uh, booking meetings, you always find uh, Calendly uh, and Loom. So it's about identifying those problems and magnifying and building a set of topics under that. And then when I say content pillars, again, it's not just about building a list of topics. It's about uh, identifying the intersection of the core problem plus the core differentiation of a product and saying that, hey, this is where I can establish myself and nobody else can, uh, you know, copy this. Sometimes I I even uh, do a test with content. You know, if I randomly go to a page, if I can uh, hide the headlines and the domain name and randomly read those four or five lines and by reading those content, if I'm not able to say who this product is, then probably we have not uh, we, we don't have a good content strategy
0: when uh when you start advising or working with startups and you're in strategy mode, you can list out all these things and then you have your plan but then when you start executing, I'm sure that there are always things that do not go as planned what are those yeah. most what are those most common pieces of friction where it sounds great in strategy but then it's much harder to actually execute on
1: yeah so it's it's The most common thing is that, uh, you know, a lot of founders tend to try to sell pretty much everything in the same piece of content. Uh, So that is something that is very, very uh, difficult. It's, you know, it has to go through a couple of iterations. Second is um, the point where people sometimes think, again, uh, this is a very uh, interesting phenomenon. While people also want to say a lot of things in a single post, they also don't want to showcase their product as part of the content. Um, and this is where, you know, I strongly believe in the idea of product-led content because the reason I say this is people think that it is self-serving to talk about their product. It is indeed self-serving if you do it in a bad way. But think about it differently. Um, again, going back to the hrifs example that I gave, imagine this, you know, um, if you're looking for how do I build backlinks and Ahrefs is telling you, hey, here's how you go about doing it. There are these... Um, you know, you go here, you identify your competitors. These are the places where they're getting backlinks from. And then this is what you do. Then we all know that hrefs is not going to give us backlinks, but the entire story is told from, you know, the, the aspect of Ahrefs where they show you how to do the research, right? So it's like you have a problem and they give you the methodology and in the context, they show you how to do that. They're not saying buy Ahrefs all the time. They're saying that this is how you go about solving the problem. So it's that's, that's where it comes down to, you know, if you have clarity as to what's the core pain and how you're solving it. Sometimes the third thing that I also come across is uh, people think that, uh, again, a little bit old school thought, people think that there should be a separate top funnel content, mid funnel content and bottom funnel content. Uh, I believe that today uh, people don't have time to consume 12 pieces of content before they go for sign up because many a times I've seen this happen over the last 15 years that you know, in communities, people interact, and I've I personally have got demos from some of my peers in other companies. When I ask them, that, "Hey, how do I use this product?" And They say that, "Hey, let me uh, quickly uh, hook you up," and they get on a meeting on Zoom. They even give me a demo of how they're using that product to solve the problem in their company. So even before talking to the AEs or going through the product led mode of signing up on that company, I know what to expect. So given that we are in these times, it's like quickly show me uh, how do I solve this problem rather than Taking me all through and uh, expecting me to come back probably a couple of weeks later.
0: For product led content, kind of diving deeper into that principle, I think you've given a, a decent enough definition of kind of what that could look like. But how is this different than just regular product marketing?
1: Right. So product marketing, you know, divides it into different stages, right? So uh, for example, it could be a combination of uh, in product content or the tutorials, or it could be, uh, you know, solution pages, product pages. So what I'm talking about product-led content is not confined to a feature page or a case study per se. It is about, you know, focusing on certain problems. It is about focusing on certain how to do certain things. And it's it doesn't stem from a feature explanation. You know, if you look at case studies or any product pages or solution pages, the hero of the story is always that, hey, I... You know, you. For example, let's take we are talking about a WhatsApp uh, WhatsApp solution. We can say that hey, you can run your entire Shopify store from WhatsApp. Now it's about feature, 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 feature. But when you look at product-led content, the idea starts from hey, do you want? It looks like you know you're you're having about seventy percent. You're losing seventy percent of the revenue because of abandoned cards. Let me show you how to solve that problem. And then you know, uh, I say, how do you do that? And in that context, I say that, hey, how can you send some personalized messages? How can you uh, probably go in and uh, give them some discounts in a timely manner, nudge them to take action and all of that? So it's the focus is always on solving a problem. It's it's almost like your uh, story brand framework. You know, you say that, hey, there is a pain. And then you say, why is it such a pain? And uh, what is the general way of solving certain things? And then how is this product, you know, how are you solving it in my method? At the end of the day, I'm also saying that, okay, by not doing this, the cost of inaction is this. So, you know, maybe this is how we should go about it. It's it's almost like giving them a way out of their current situation.
0: What did, what would valuable product-led content actually look like? Um, you gave one example with hrefs there. Can you think of any other kind of characteristics of that content that make it particularly helpful compared to what you normally see out of blog posts from startups?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Again, I would say Intercom is another great example that does it really well. Um, so it's it's about, you know, understanding which persona you're handling. Um, let's let's take Intercom versus Drift as a even comparison page as an example, right? So there they understand whom they are targeting. They are not dissing on uh, Drift and saying that, hey, these guys are not a great product while we are. They're saying that, Hey, those guys are fantastic. If you are primarily looking at sales and marketing as a core problem, but when it comes to all things customer support and customer engagement, these are the things that you might want to look at. And this is how we go about doing it. So I would say again, uh, everywhere the framework is always that the page talks about probably about a fifty percent of the page talks about the pain, and probably another um, thirty to forty percent probably talks about solving the pain, and there is no open sales to the product. You know, at the end of the day, there might be, um, it, in most of the cases, there are, there are even no CTA buttons in those pages. It's just about showcasing how, how, how. By default, if the template has a CTA somewhere at the top, that's great. But it's it's always focused on that alone. And uh, it's, it's, it's not written in the form of a landing page, for example. It's not written like, hey, every second fold, I'm going to have a CTA. No. It's about, am I focusing on this? At the end of the day, if somebody spends about, five minutes or even three minutes on this page, do they leave the page excited that, hey, now this is the problem that I was trying to solve and I know how to do it right now. Rather than saying that, hey, this feels like too much of a salesy pitch where they're trying to sell the product. Recently, I came across one blog post where um, there was this company which was talking about how do you build a pipeline at an event? And uh, they were talking about, okay, now you have a you know, list of attendees, because you're going to have a booth there. Then you upload it in my solution. Then what happens is uh, you are going to get a shortlisted thing of which, which are the, um, which accounts have high buying intent. So you can do this. Then uh, step three, I'm going to tell you of these accounts, um, what are they currently looking at, you know, based on their recent press releases, their whatever information is available online, their vision, their podcast, whatever. And saying that, This is what this company is going to uh, or trying to accomplish in the next three months. Now, if this is their priority and they are available, they are coming to this particular event, which you are a part of. Now you exactly know how to package your solution to them. You know, so when they're telling this story in the form of a blog, it is not selling the product. It is just giving me an idea as to even if I'm not using the product, I can take this idea and see how I can do it without it as well.
0: Two rapid fire questions to end things off. Um, what What is something that you believe to be true about content, but others don't? Oh, this is a hard one. All right. So um,
1: what I believe true about uh, content is that uh, content can drive revenue. Uh, uh, it's not that, you know, it has to be always dependent on somebody um, that is at the sales end, um, especially given the uh, product-led world that we are in. If the content is great and building trust, it will drive revenue and it will drive uh, revenue almost immediately as well.
0: Last one, every marketer has their favorite tools, tools they couldn't live without. What are the MarTech tools specifically that you use every single day and would be very painful if they went away?
1: Right, uh, I have a combination. Um, I use, a. Uh, of course I use a tool, uh, HRF is my go-to when it comes to all things SEO. Then I use a tool called uh, Quarter, which sits on top of your Google search console and gives me a quick insight into how can I optimize my existing content uh, towards better ranking. And uh, these days, I also use uh, quite a bit of uh, Chat GPT to get insights as to how I can put my things a little differently. Um, so that's, that's about it. And uh, yeah, so these are three code questions. And then apart from that, maybe Canva is one that I live on almost on a daily basis.